ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. I'm doing my best to round out this series today and, and bring it to a close uh, so, so you can root me on in getting this finished this morning. The more excited you are, the faster I'll preach and get this done. So get on in there. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Always when you're reading the Bible, be very receptive to the second person. And when it is written to you, you be ready to receive what it's about to say. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You need to hear that because you have heard some other things about you. From people, from enemies, from your own mind. So let's renew, when Romans 12 says that we're, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, how do we do it? Well, let's renew our minds to what the Bible says. And it says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You are a royal priesthood. You are not your job title. Now, I know sometimes if somebody asks me, what do you do? I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. But really, pastoring is what I do for the kingdom of God. Who I am is child of God. Because if who I am is my title, then my identity rises and falls on the success of myself in that title. And what if I'm going through a hard time as a pastor? Does that mean I'm a failure in my identity? What, what, what if you are, what if your title, what if your title, what if your job description, what if your um, work identity, what if that is your identity? If that's who you are, what happens when you get laid off? If all of your self-worth and your esteem and your understanding of who you are is wrapped up in something you do, what happens when you can't do that anymore? What happens if you have to be off for an injury for a time? I know because I've counseled some people. that do, They don't know who they are anymore. People slide into a depression because their identity was wrapped up in something that they do, not who God made them to be. So you are not your titles in life. And we all carry different titles. We all you know, have different functions, and that's not who we are. You are not your bank account. Be it great or small, a great bank account doesn't equal a great person. A minimal bank account does not mean a minimal person. That's not who you are. It is a, it's a consequence, and it's a part of life, but it is not who you are. Your education is not who you are. If it were, then there are many folks in this room who have been limited unfairly by circumstances. And does that diminish who you are as a person? Absolutely not. However, there are people that are wrapped up in that. On both ends of it. Feel like they're not somebody because they don't have something like education, or people on the other end that think they are something because they do have an education. 
Neither ends of that is the truth. You are who you are based on who God created you to be and nothing else. So everything that tries to attack what God says about you must be brought down. It must come under subjection to the truth. And you are, as a believer, you are a royal priesthood. So we have been declaring now for a few weeks that our lives and our church are now in a royal revolution. And what we've meant by that is that we are taking this identity from Scripture seriously. We are examining our lives and deciding that if God says this is who we are, then let's start living like it. What if I start living up to royalty? What if my standards raise? What if my capacities increase? What if I understand that I have the resources like a king has of heaven that back me up wherever I go and that I am not the tail, I am actually the head. I don't have to live in a poverty mindset, not just about money, but everything else. I'm not at the bottom of the social food chain. I'm not at the bottom of the economic food. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I am not limited and hindered as a believer by anything except who I believe God can be in my life. If you believe he's little, it'll be little. But if you believe God is, that's why the psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me because if you magnify him as big as he really is then he'll be big in your life he'll be able to do things in your life you can't do that's why we and you say well magnify you making God bigger than he is no when you magnify something you're not making it bigger than it is you're making it bigger to you and all of us what we know of God is still just filling a thimble compared to what he really is So that's why if you keep magnifying him in your own eyes, you're only approaching what he actually is. You don't overestimate God. He says, I do exceeding abundantly above what you ask or think. So I've got to keep getting bigger in my understanding of God. And part of that is understanding my identity as royalties. I'm a son and a daughter of God. And so that means I don't have limitations. If he calls me to do a thing, I can do it. That's what we say, we have the resources of heaven. Because if God calls you to forgive, you say, Pastor, I can't forgive. Well, in yourself, you probably can't. What was done was so horrible and hurtful, but we're not talking about what we can do anymore. We're royalty. If I'm expected to forgive, then God has the ability to enable me to forgive. When he calls me to give financially, and he's moving on you, and you're obeying, Sometimes it doesn't look as if that exists anywhere. But remember, he has the resources. And if he's moving on you to do it, he's not calling you to do something that's going to frustrate you because you're not going to be able. If, he's, if you obey what he wants you to do, he's going to enable you to get it done every time. Pastor, I just don't know that I can go talk to that person. I just don't know if I can walk across the room and start that conversation about the Lord. I just don't know if that's it. Well, maybe it's not in you to do it. It doesn't have to be in you to do it. It only has to be in him to do it. Can he empower you? Sure. Jesus said, open your mouth and I'll fill it. So this is what we mean by becoming a royal revolution. We are shifting our lives to become who God says we actually are on the earth, which is what he means because he wants us to be his, 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors. We are part of the royal delegation of heaven sent to earth for this time in this season right now so that the the world could see who he is through us. We are the body of Christ. There was once a body of Christ on the earth. It was Jesus, but everybody couldn't see him at the same time. He was taken away. Holy Spirit's poured out and now we're the body so that all over the world this morning there's believers scattered everywhere so that everywhere they go somebody can see Jesus wherever they are 
That's what we do when we leave this place. We are going out becoming the ambassadors, the representation of the Lord everywhere. So what we want to do is live up to who he really is. We want to act royal since we are. We don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain, in an empty way. We want to make sure that we are living the life that he has called us to live. Now, I'd like you to have to pray hard because I can see this is going to be real hard to finish today. Because I don't even see in sight the body of this message. We're still way early in the introduction. I'd like to remind you this morning that our nation, the, the media crew is probably nervous because there's something coming they got to do and they're probably wondering if I'm ever going to do it now. But I'm getting there. When we talk about revolutions, I want to remind you that our nation was born in a revolution. So apply that to your life this morning. Things may be changing in your world. God may be challenging you right now and convicting you right now. Things may be challenging. You may be in circumstances that are very challenging. It may be pushing you to be and to do things you've never been able to do before. You may feel a little bit of the pressure of things happening and things changing. You look around the scenery, may not be like it was a few weeks or a few months ago. Seasons and people and circumstances may be shifting in your life right now. But just know, great things can be born from a revolution. Because sometimes when there's a lot of change, revolutionary change, especially in our personal lives, we don't see it from the positive, we see it from the negative. We see what we're losing and not what we're gaining. We see the way it was is not the way it is. And we grieve a little over that. That's okay, but grieve it out and move on. Because the seasons change whether we want them to or they don't. And at some point, you grow up in God and become a part of a royal revolution. And you decide that even when the things I can't change or I can't affect are changing, I just say, Lord, what are you doing in this? We're so focused on what the devil is attacking and the devil stole this person and the devil did this and the devil. But what is God doing? Now, you can't do a thing about some of these things, but what is God doing in it? That's the real question. Because if you'll start looking for what he's doing, you'll start finding what he's doing. Because one of the things he's doing in all of it is he's working in you. And when he does a work in you, it's a good work. So understand that things may be changing and there may be revolutionary things happening, but sometimes that's when the good comes. Don't view the revolution in your life with disdain. Look at it with expectation because God is about to birth something good into your life. Romans eight twenty eight. All things, all things. Is the Bible true or is it not? All things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. All the things are not good, but they work for your good because God will make sure of that. No matter how bad the thing is, the goodness is going to come in you if you'll cooperate with him. So you look at expectation that God is about to birth into you because of this revolution. I understand that the prospect of a revolution Change is precarious both in a nation and a human life. It's not a small thing to consider a complete change, an overhaul of life that revolution brings. If we are thinking about 
the major changes of scenery of life and seasons of life. These are not small. So it's not wrong that when you look at a massive change, like a, a job change, a, 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 a situation in your family that is, that is shifting, people coming or going from your life, it is not wrong that this seems to be a great deal to you, that this is a almost overwhelming. Of course it is. The prospect of revolution is overwhelming. It's not a small thing to consider. George Washington said this concerning the American Revolution about one month into the war. He said, unhappy it is, though, to reflect that a brother's sword has been sheathed in a brother's breast and that the once happy plains of America are either to be drenched with blood or inhabited by slaves, sad alternative. But can a virtuous man hesitate in his choice? I'm going to tell you, sometimes you need to go back and read what some of the old timers wrote. But on one month into a years-long war, you realize that the Revolutionary War was not a few months long. It was extremely bloody, extremely difficult, and, and Washington says at the outset, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be a bloodbath. This is going to be difficult. On the front end of a revolution, when you are looking at a change of life, at the beginning, you count the cost. If you've ever shifted careers or changed majors, if you've ever decided to get married, if you have ever made a large decision in your life, at the, big, the, the prospect of large change, you count the cost. You realize something will have to leave my hand for something else to come into my hand. You know at the outset, this is going to be hard. I'm walking with somebody that I love dearly through a time of well into adulthood, going back to school to pursue a career. And they were so determined and just said, after the first couple of days of, of, of school, you know, really related to us, this is extremely hard. This is going to be very difficult. And then she said, but I'm going to do this. And I'm going to finish this. And that's exactly what she's been doing. But from the outset, she knew this is not like school when I was a kid. It's hard as an adult. You know that when there's a massive life change, things are going to be hard. You know there's going to be bloodshed. In other words, you know there will be some prices to pay in large change. And now we're talking about the changes that God wants to make in our lives too. When he's calling us to do things in obedience to his word, when he's calling us out of darkness to light and we're moving away from that life to another, when we are moving towards the identity of royalty, when we are moving towards his plan and his purpose, when we are moving towards obedience, when we are moving towards the character of Jesus instead of our lost, fallen character, it's going to be a bloodbath. In fact, where that's concerned, he says, you know, Paul just says, I got to crucify myself daily. That is a bloodbath. He expects this is going to be hard. Change is hard. We know at the beginning of change that there may be some who stand with me 
and some who don't stand with me. We know at the beginning of change, I promise I'm going to redeem all this in a minute. It's hard right now, but we're moving there. We know at the beginning of changes, there's not always a timeline. You don't always get the beauty of saying, well, I know that in three months we'll be through this. There's some things you don't know how long this is going to be. And it is a trust walk every day because it could end today or it could go on next week. You don't know. At the beginning of change and revolution, you know that your will and your skill are both going to be tested. And you know when you get to the end, if you pay the price, stand in there, walk with God, be faithful, don't give up, be obedient. One thing you know for sure, my life won't be the same. It'll, there's going to be something different. And we don't always know what different looks like. That also can be intimidating. This is why some people will stay in a harmful situation rather than remove themselves to a healthy situation because familiar hell might be more desirable to them than unknown heaven. That seems strange, but there are people who will stay in an abusive situation because if they leave, they don't know what they'll have, who they'll have, and where they'll go and what they'll do. And on the outside, you can say, well, she just needs to leave. I mean, she's getting bit. Understand. But understand what it feels like to be there. When the uncertainty is more away from the danger than it is in the middle of it. And if you choose to change, walk with God through whatever he's leading you through, you know this is going to look different, and I don't necessarily know what different looks like in a revolution. But here's what you must also know in a royal revolution. When God is ordaining the change you're walking through, you must also know that if he's called you to change, something better is coming. Tell your neighbor something better is coming. If you walk with God, it's always going to be something better is coming. Well, I started following God and things got hard. Yes, you followed God and they got hard. But if you'll keep waiting, baby, they're going to get a lot better. If you will hang in there, it's going to get a lot better. There's coming an ultimate day when we go shed all of this mess and it's all going to be better when we hit the streets of glory. There's coming a day it will be better. And I'm just prophesied to you, it will be better on this earth too if you will walk with God through the hard, through the pain, through the, all of the issues you have to face. It will be better if you'll walk with him and let him change. So that's what God has been trying to convince us of. That if we gather our courage, take the bold steps, let the Holy Spirit revolutionize our lives. Not nominal change, not minimal change, but radical change. Because listen, the gospel is always about radical change. The gospel is not about minimal change. This is where I, I, I don't condone the way that we hear things about the gospel referred to now, no, we need to understand the gospel is about radical life change. Nothing less. From lost to found, that's a radical change. Out of darkness into light, that's radical change. Dead in trespasses and sins, alive to God, that's radical. Orphans to now children of God, 
That's radical. Because Jesus doesn't come into our lives to improve our lives. There's what I'm getting at. There's what I'm uncomfortable with in America. Jesus didn't come to improve our lives. He has come because our lives had to be changed. Because if they're not changed, we're going to be destroyed now and in a hell that is very real forever. So change has to happen. That is the gospel, and it's all radical change. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to revolutionize our lives, we will become. And that is why some of us feel like, man, I don't know if I can go through any more of the Lord showing me things and convicting me of this and working with me. It's a lot, and it's heavy, and it seems like it's never ending. But listen, he's trying to work a good work in you. He's got somewhere for you to go that if you only understood what it was, you would know it's glorious and it's worthwhile. Oh, how I want you to be hungry for godly change. Oh, how I pray that all of us are never satisfied with where we are, but we only want God to keep us moving toward what he wants us to be. So for many weeks now, we've allowed the history of godly kings in the world, in the word, to challenge us to become the royalty we're created to be in Christ. But today, as we finish this message, David, Solomon, and Asa the same kings that have given us godly example are going to offer us some warnings. So after discovering the victory of royalty, that was David, the generosity of royalty, also David, the wisdom of royalty, that was Solomon, and the longevity of royalty, that was Asa. Today we consider the liabilities of royalty. We cannot be naive enough to believe that God has given us an identity of royalty and we won't come under attack. We can't be naive enough to believe that God has said we're something now. He's made us his children. He's given us a name. He's sealed us, branded us as his own, placed us in authority over Satan. Does Satan know that we're in authority over him? Well, sure he does. Sure he does. Jesus had it canonized in Scripture forever. Behold, I give you authority to trample over the scorpions, serpents, and all power of the devil. So yeah, the devil knows that. And we can't be naive and believe that God has given us all of his, what he's given us, and there wouldn't be attacks. It will be attacked. There's liabilities that come with our identity. And Jesus understands this. How does he know? He knows that our attacks are because of our identity. The attacks on your life aren't because you're a problem child in God. The attacks on your life aren't always because you have done something. Now, you can do something wrong. You can can step into sin and rebel, and you can bring attack on your life, sure enough. But that's not always why. Attacks also come on our life because of who we are in God. Prove it, Jesus. He'd love to. One moment in chapter 3 of Luke... He hears the words at his baptism, verbally. People around him heard. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' ministry is about to launch. He has to have a solidity in his identity. It can't just be inside of himself. It can't just be what he's thought and what he's communicated privately with the Father. He needed that moment of ordination when vocally, verbally, in front of the world, God declares, this is... Think about it. If you're going to go live like the Messiah and claim you're him you got to know it. And in one moment, 
he hears the audible voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that's done. Praise God. Now he knows who he is. There's no, it's confirmed in every way. Can't be doubted. Scripture records the very next words he heard were from Satan in chapter 4. Then, and what did he say? If you are the Son of God, Jesus just heard, you are, and the first thing the devil has to say is the first thing he hears next, and it is, well, if you are, then you need to prove it. No, no, he didn't need to prove anything. When you are who you are, you don't have to prove anything. It's an insecure person that has to run around all the time and try to make sure everybody knows that they can do what they can do and that they are who they are and they have to tell you their accolades and they have to show out to make sure that you know that they can really do the thing. Don't let that snow job you. They're not awesome. They're insecure. Because the secure person knows who they are and it doesn't matter if you know it or don't. Because if you hang around long enough, you will know it. Your identity will show through eventually. Jesus didn't have to prove anything, but this is what Satan did. He came after Jesus' identity. So why wouldn't he come after yours? He knows that Scripture says you're a royal generation. You're a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. So of course he's going to come after that. See if he can talk you out of that truth. And so when we are royalty, the liability is attack is coming on the horizon. But some of the Liabilities may be enemy attacks. Others, however, the liabilities of royalty are elements of your flesh that want to take... No, you didn't get as excited about that one. Are elements of your flesh that want to come back in and take control. Oh, well, if I'm royalty, well, then let's just live like this. Romans 6, 11. Likewise, you also... Reckon, or the word means consider, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. As a believer, there are elements of an old you and a dead you that want to creep back in and reign. But your royalty, you reign over that sin. How do you know? Because that's what the scripture said. You don't let it happen. That means you get the choice. The flesh feels pulled to do this, say this, want this. But you get to sign off with your decision. That's why being a strong-willed person isn't bad. She needs to be bent the right way. Some of you have had a child you had to bend the right way. Some of you were the child that had to be bent the right way. I've told you before that my mama, before she took that fly swat to me, would tell me, uh, would tell me, I'm going to break your will. Yeah, I grew up in a little bit different time. And my mama was sweet. If you knew her, she was a sweet woman. She wasn't mean. She wasn't even angry. She was telling me what she was doing, very literally. And then she did it. She broke the fly swat. I hear from the peanut gallery over here, did I get the belt? The belt only came from dad. That didn't have to happen very many times. 
Y'all are trying to rabbit trail me. So mama, one time, here's why, here's why mama didn't do the belt. One time she did attempt to utilize the belt. And so she's trying to deal with the belt and hold on to me. So who got the whooping? Mama got, she whooped herself trying to get to me. So she never did that again. But there are elements of us that don't want to die. Temper. Being geared toward a fence. Certain lusts. Just they want to keep flaring up. But you have power. You get to choose. You're not tied to those now. The same Romans tells us that you only become the slave of what you obey. So have any kind of feeling you want. Let the flesh try anything it wants. And if you don't obey it, you're not his slave. Pastor, that's hard in the moment. Oh, I know I'm a human being too. But you have the power to do it. doesn't mean it's easy. And if you're waiting to live all these years free of any inclination, any desire, and I'll never, you know, if I'm where I need to be in God, I'll never have the inclination to be angry or hurt. Oh, no, you're going to have inclinations because that old man's going to try to come back. That didn't make you a lost person. What's going to make you a lost person is if you keep obeying that. So you want to be a rebel? Rebel against your flesh. Just don't let it rain. And yet the story of these three kings, these three men who reigned well for a time, has to make us stop and think. Because even after being gifted by God and anointed and chosen each of them, after years of faithfulness to the Lord, after years of living in victory over their enemies, these men's liabilities got the best of them. Three of them. This is why 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Take heed in the original language means to perceive and look at, discern. It means we can't live our lives on autopilot and assume we're going to stay on course. That may work with an airplane. It does not work with our lives. Sadly, we cannot program Settings into our lives that, uh, that place us on a particular trajectory with God and then we sit back and just go with whatever comes. No, we have to be vi- vigilant. Be sober and alert, Peter says, because your enemy is roaring and looking for someone to devour, so you stay alert. doesn't say be scared of him. It doesn't say just, just watch. I... Uh, I canceled a staff member at another church this week who is walking through a very perilous situation. And his main responsibility is to assist his senior pastor. And all of his energy, because of what's happening right now, all of his energy and his thoughts and his efforts are about helping that pastor and the church navigate a very difficult season. That's all he's thinking about. And I talked to him this week. I said, how are you doing? And I'm trying to get at how he's doing. And he's telling me about how the things are doing. No, no, no. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm great because this, no, no about the stuff. How are you? And it finally I had to come down to a moment because what he was not doing, he was not taking heed 
lest he fall. I said to him, and we're not talking about he's on the tip of a sin. He's on the tip of being eaten by some circumstances because he's focused on helping everyone else and not watching his own back. And I said to him, when you walked into this role, the crosshairs of the enemy were already placed on the pastor in the church. And when you walked in this role, you came in the scope. And you're thinking about serving them, helping them, taking care of them. But you got to be alert as well. Because this thing would like to hurt you too. It would like to bring you down too. It would like to bitter, it put bitterness in you. It would like to steal you away from victory. you got to watch out. Because when you think you're standing, you could fall. Because the enemy is watching for who is vulnerable. I'll be honest. I don't know how many times I've had something try to come back into my life that I thought I overcome long ago. I just recently dealt with the spirit of discouragement. Now, if you've been long enough around, you've heard me talk about getting deliverance from a spirit of discouragement. Yes, that's what I said. It is a demon spirit that attacks people. And it is not that I have to go think better and be nicer and and have better situations. No, I need to get rid of that thing. It is whispering, speaking, shouting in your ears, and you have to get broken, that thing broken off your life. And I did one day. And I've been a different human being ever since. And then a couple of three weeks ago, on a day, I had some circumstances that played together. And suddenly, I'm thinking like I used to think again. And it's been years. But I recognize it. Because I dealt with it so bad. It was so, I knew, I know what that stuff sounds like. And it didn't take, I think in the same day, I got victory over the thing because, because I recognized, wait a minute, I can't just assume that I'm good now forever. And I don't ever have to watch anymore. No, I'm going to be guarded and keep the door shut. And my flesh dead. And then I'm going to move forward. Here's where David, Solomon, and Asaph missed it. All of them had tremendous reigns. They were all prosperous kings and godly. By the word of the Lord says it. But they all had a liability that brought them to a fall. 2 Samuel 11 describes the moment when the springtime of the year came around and David sends his armory out to go to battle, but he doesn't go with them. While he's home and while his men are fighting, putting their lives at risk, he should have been leading. He's at home, sleeping. But he gets up in the middle of the night. He walks out on his roof and he sees a woman bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. And in just a, just a short amount of time, he summons her to himself. There's an adulterous relationship. She ends up pregnant. He ends up having her husband murdered. We've gone from the king that God called a man after his own heart to a king who had gone after his own heart in just a short time. There's a lot to be said 
about the fall that he made there. But here's what you have to know for today. Verse 1 says, the time when kings go to battle, he sent, to jo- he sent Joab and he stayed home. He was supposed to be leading. And instead, he positioned himself at the house. We set ourselves up for failure when we step out of the position God's placed us in. He was supposed to be leading his armies, and he took himself out of God's position, and he placed himself in a different one. You will come into danger when you leave the job when God didn't tell you to leave the job. You will put yourself in danger when you enter into a relationship God didn't lead you to enter into. You see what I mean? Out of position with where God is placing you. If you go into serving in a ministry, and that's not the leading, it's not the direction or the will of God, but you just wanted to go do it or someone pressure, please don't ever pressure anybody to be part of your ministry. Don't do that because it's dangerous for them. They got to be there because it's the the will of God for them because it's dangerous if it's not. Wherever your position is in the Lord, stay there. God's led you away from that church, get out quickly. Don't wrestle with that, get out. If God has led you to a church and he's not, if there's not, he's not calling you to leave it, stay there. But I don't like this. (laughs) I will be a prophet for you and let you know that the next church, there will also be something you don't like. It's just the way it is. If God didn't tell you to leave, you don't leave. If he tells you to leave, don't hesitate. But if he doesn't tell you to leave, you can't go anywhere. I'm just about done with this friendship. This person is driving me up the wall. Okay. Um, Scroll back and remember, some time back there, you thought God put that together. Did he tell you to abandon them now? No, I'm just kind of frustrated with them. God's not leading you away then. Well, but they're not always, I know. And you're not always either. (laughs) On the other hand, there are some in this room today, God has been trying to speak, whisper, yell, send smoke signals, something. To let you know that there's a relationship you need to be out of. And it's uncomfortable. It's a revolution you don't like. It's a revolution that you're not sure about the future. If you don't, if you're not, this is not my best friend, I don't, who will I have? If I break up with this guy, what will I have next? Meanwhile, God keeps saying, leave now. Remember David. He was out of position and it got himself in jeopardy. Because he wasn't where God led him to be. You must stay in position. What about Solomon? Well, for several chapters of 1 Kings, we are told about Solomon's kingdom, and it was amazing. He built a temple that was magnificent to God. He had wisdom that was so supernatural and divine that other rulers came to just hear him talk. 
His nation prospered. They built things. They had infrastructure that no one else ever had. He added, there's a chapter that describes his administrative technique, and it was amazing. The kingdom was prosperous. They were at peace. No enemies flaring up. It was wonderful. But the last part of his life in chapter 11 is terrible. There's nothing but trouble and pain. Why? The first part of 1 Kings 11, the very first few words, after all the wonderful things have been said about Solomon, the Bible says this, but King Solomon loved many foreign women. Okay, women aren't bad. That's not the evil, that's not the villain here. <laughs> when you read on, you find out God said, do not intermarry with heathen people because they won't come to worship your gods. You'll end up worshiping their gods. He didn't just marry one. It was hundreds. So multiply the effect of one relationship and its influence hundreds of times. And the Bible's very clear later there that his heart turned from God. His relationships put him in that precarious situation. It was disobedience. And the problem was this. He loved what was ungodly. He came to love what was ungodly. Church family, I know you love God this morning. But do you also love the world? Loving God does not acquit you from your need to stop loving the world. What do you mean? Loving God doesn't offset your need to now cease your love for the world. This is what the American church does not understand. We don't even realize there's two kingdoms, and we're from one or the other, but not both. My citizenship is now in heaven. I can't love the world at the same time I love the kingdom. We think Christianity is loving Jesus and loving the things of this world, just taking our lives and adding Jesus to it. Jesus said, 1624 of Matthew, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When we begin following the Lord, we die. The old things pass away, all things become new, and I don't keep my old affections and my old alliances. My life is now his, and I love what he loves, and I hate what he hates. And our relationship to the world is then made clear by John. Who was the great lover of Jesus? Read his gospel and his three letters, and what you have him telling you repeatedly is how much he loved Jesus. His head against the Lord's chest at the Last Supper. Him who wrote, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we have become the children of God. He was the great lover disciple, and this is what he says. Do not love the world. 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I, I believe the American church doesn't even know how much we love the world. It's culture, it's customs, it's systems, it's economy, it's priorities, it's values. We love the world in so many ways. It's time for us to position ourselves in the presence of God until we fall so in love with him that we fall out of love with the world. And come to love his world, his kingdom. Because this world has fallen, it's corrupted and it's going to pass away and we can't tie our lives to it. But what we tie to the kingdom will live forever now. The royal liabilities run in Solomon's family. Now we're at the last king. The optimistic ladies can put their shoes back on. (laughs) At the culmination of Asa's life, Solomon's great-grandson, the Bible in 2 Chronicles 16, tells us that a prophet comes to Asa and says, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped your hand. And he reminds him of when he trusted God against an enemy and they won. But now he's trusting Syria and not God. And he's losing. Verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. He only sought his physicians. So after 36 years of fruitful godly reign, Asa was tripped up by his own liability, and it was this one, don't let it trip you, Rhonda, you can come. It was this, he trusted in something other than God. We're not talking about worshiping evil deities and idolatry now. He had a chance to trust God with the battle in front of him. And he trusted the Syrians to come to his side. Like he put all of his faith for his victory in another man's hand. How many times do we trust something that isn't God? We put the weight of our life onto someone or something that isn't the Lord. That will end up failing because whatever you're trusting that's not God is not perfect. It is fallible. It is failure given. And that's what Asa did. And then in that moment, evidently he had a chance to turn to God. Because the Bible mentions he comes to a place of disease and even then. It's not a problem that he trusted physicians. Go to your doctor, of course. But he didn't even seek the Lord when he's dying. Don't come to the place to where you trust something other than God. It's going to be a liability. Now, here's where the whole thing I promised would would be redeemed is redeemed. Here it is. Out of those three, one was redeemed. Two of those, their liability was the end of their story. And if you've been in a place in your life to where the liability keeps getting you and tripping you up, it does not have to be the end of your story. 
The failure, though it's been multifaceted. The weakness, though you have been giving into it for years, this does not have to be the end. You're still breathing. You're still here on Sunday to hear this message. Because for one of those kings, he had the opportunity to repent. 2 Samuel 12 tells us that David was confronted by the prophet Nathan with his sin. And immediately, David says to God, I've sinned against you. And he was humble and repentant. And he had to deal with the consequences that came from his actions for sure. But he was spared. Because the Bible indicates that he was spared and he, might, he was probably going to die because of his sin. But he was spared because he was repentant. That means it doesn't matter how many liabilities you've had, how many failures, how many times you keep getting it wrong. It's time to just choose to get it right. It's just a moment for repentance. And then God can begin to redeem what you messed up. I know that seems counterintuitive that God has to deal with what we did. That's what God's been always doing with us since the fall of man. He's the redeemer. And so today, I'm wondering in this room, there may be folks that you've not been walking with God at all. You don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. You're away from God. And it's been your liabilities have been ruling your life. Sin, the enemy, problems, everything runs your life but God. This is your day to turn and repent and surrender your life to Jesus and be spared and have the life he planned for you to have, a royal revolution. It could also be that you're a believer. You're following God, but you're having the opportunity to see your liabilities try to take over. Have a David moment. So now I'm going to stand up against all of this. I'm going to turn. I'm going to trust God again. Either way, this is your day. So, Father, I pray for every person in this room that needs to make a decision right now. That they would not leave this morning without this decision being made. That they are turning away from whatever the liabilities of their lives have been. They're not trusting that they can overcome them. They're trusting you to help them overcome them some Lord they need to accept you as Lord and Savior and I pray this is that day in Jesus name my question is very simple for everybody do you need to repent of something do you need to have a David moment this is it you've been here this long you might as well stay three minutes longer and repent And I don't feel like having a lot of motion. I feel like asking you to do it right where you're at. Because I know that most of what needs to happen is believers turning from liabilities. Trusting the Lord again. Positioning themselves in the will of God. So if you need to do that, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. You can begin praying. In fact, I'd ask everybody to bow your heads and begin praying like that whatever you need to repent of. And as those heads are bowed, I wonder 
if you're one of the ones who may be here and you're away from the Lord Jesus, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not your Savior or your Lord. Would you be willing to let me know by raising your hand and putting it down so I'll know to pray about that? Anybody in this room, just raise your hand and put it down and I'll know to pray. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Possibly you're online and that's you. This is your day. You raised your hand. This is your day. You're giving your life to Jesus. And he's going to take it. He's going to make it what he wants it to be. And give you a better future than you could have created. So if you needed to raise your hand and you just did. Would you be willing to pray right now? Would you make this before the Lord a moment when you really decide? I'm going to lead a prayer. The prayer isn't magic. It's not a formula. We're just expressing to the Lord that we, we believe in him. We're confessing our sin and we're giving our life to him. Because that's what Romans 10 tells us is necessary. And if that's what you need to do today, would you pray this with me? And church family, you can help me pray. Just pray, Lord Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. And I know that you lived and died and rose again for me. Today I know I'm away from you. But I'm turning to you. And I confess my sin and turn from it. And Jesus, I confess that you're my Lord. Take control of my life and make me new. In your name I pray. Father, I pray for every life that just made that very real decision. I pray that what Romans 8 says would be true for them. That they would know your spirit would bear witness with theirs that they are the children of God now. And I pray that their life would be so aware of your love for them and your commitment to them that they would know they can trust you with everything. I pray this would be the beginning of a different day. You're going to lead them into your will, and it's going to be good. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you made that decision and you prayed that today, you need to be in church. Feed the right decision you've just made. You need to open your Bible and begin to read. And let God feed you what you need. This is a great day. If you would take one more step, I'd love it also. If you would contact me or the church, you can do it through Facebook Messenger. You can find our emails, however you want to do it. Just let us know what you've done so that we can be there for you because we want to be. Church family, this has been a good day in God's house. I want to know, did anybody receive prayer earlier for healing? And you can already tell that God is working it's either started or it's completed, but you already know something began to happen uh, as you were prayed for. I see one hand. I see two. Are there others? We got them migraines, baby girl. We got them today. Jesus had that number. That's already better, Jaron. Praise God. You people wearing purple, man, I don't know what you're getting from God, but it's good. I'm claiming it for me, too, and I don't even know what I need. 
My wife's got the list. <laughs> we better stand and be dismissed before I keep talking. Five o'clock tonight's the appointed hour. Father, I bless the people in the name of Jesus. May they go today strengthened by the joy of the Lord, operating with the peace of God that passes understanding, full of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.